0: Recorded live, Union Inn, Washington, D.C. 1112, 1114, 3rd Street, Northeast. We are steps to Noma Metro. Nice, brisk walk to Union Station. And a leisurely jog to the Capitol, Capitol Hill. I am the illustrious Innkeeper Freddy, host extraordinaire. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to Guest Book Podcast. Guest Book Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you're doing well out there. We have another touring musician. He's a trumpeter this time, Mr. Paul Barron. How you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh,
0: you're very welcome. We always love when musicians that are playing over at the Kennedy Center come on to Guestbook Podcast and share the depths of their insight in a musician entertainment world. Uh, he's currently on an eight-week run at the Kennedy Center of Aladdin. How's that going?
1: It's going great. Fantastic crowds, and uh, we're having a blast.
0: Now, how long is the whole run of Aladdin
1: been? Um, we're coming on two years. Wow. Uh, September 13th will be my two-year anniversary, and it played for about six months prior to that. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Okay. And I believe your DC run here is one of your longest runs in a city,
1: right? It is, yeah. We, we've had uh, two and a half months, uh, a little bit longer in San Francisco, three months in L.A., but everything has been... Less than two two months mostly. Okay. So everything from three weeks till about uh, five weeks is typical. Okay,
0: good. So it's good you get at least three weeks because I believe when Rich was here and he was playing Hello Dolly, he was saying that there were some tours to where it was just they were just there for a week. Right. And those week turnarounds can be kinda
1: tough. They can be, yeah. I, I did spam a lot where we had a stretch of I think twenty four one week stops. Ooh. Yeah. Rehearsing Man. a new band in every city and every city. Yeah.
0: Man, you can't really even like get because you spend your free days traveling, pretty much.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Every Monday we travel, and then Tuesday morning we rehearse a new band. Wow. So this is a luxury to be able to sit down and have a, an actual Monday night off, and uh, well, the whole day off. It's great.
0: Yeah. So what are we listening to? Uh,
1: that was from a band called Skywalk from Vancouver, a, a fusion jazz fusion band. Uh, They're pretty popular for about twenty years in, in uh, Canada mostly, but they they made it pretty. Pretty good splash down here, and that was a song called "Natural Causes."
0: Okay, and you were playing trumpet on that.
1: I was playing trumpet on that. Yeah, I should say I wasn't a member of the band, but mm-hmm. um, they they would bring me in for a few songs here and there. Uh, I think I did two albums with them. Oh wow! Yeah.
0: Okay, now was that a high E?
1: That was a double high A. <laughs> the moneymaker. The money maker, <laughs> the money maker. real. Like that aperture is like...
0: <laughs> you can't even fit a needle through there.
1: There you go. Yeah, Look it's... at you talking apertures and stuff. <laughs>
0: so you're a touring musician. Yes. But for the majority of your career, you both did jingles as well as playing uh, as a trumpeter, background player for different musicians across all different genres of music, correct? That's right. So I guess let's dive into that you played for Aerosmith
1: I I played a a few songs for Aerosmith yeah I didn't you know play with the band uh, uh, although Steven Tyler was at the studio when we recorded Mm -hmm. that was cool but the rest of the band was gone somewhere and it was just the horn section doing overdubs
0: which album was this
1: I I think it was called get a grip it's got a picture of a a cow on the front was that dude looks like a lady I was on that as well yeah
0: loving an elevator Living it up while I'm going down.
1: I'm not sure about that one. Line Up was another one, and crying. Those, I think, were their two biggest uh, hits.
0: What other genres of music or artists of note have you played behind for their albums? Uh,
1: for their albums? Jeez, I should have brought a list, but uh, there were a lot of one-word uh, titles or names of, of bands like Jackal, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Aerosmith, I already said, uh... Oh, there was London Choir Boys, um, Bare Naked Ladies. I Mm -hmm. guess they've been around for a long time. I did a couple albums for them. Mm -hmm.
0: Have you done any live performances behind any artists of note?
1: Yeah, most of the the Motown groups, the Temptations, Four Tops. um, Really? OJs, um, Spinners, you know, on and on. Uh, Natalie Cole, I think, uh, not that she was Motown, but... um, one of the biggest artists, I guess. And one of the most memorable gigs I ever did was with Natalie Cole. Now,
0: would you tour with them, or was this just when their tour showed up in Vancouver, you would play behind them?
1: Exactly, the latter, yeah. All
0: right. More recently, but almost for just as much time, you've been a touring musician now. Yes. Uh, How'd you get into that?
1: That was one of those things, when I was younger, and, you know, I said I was real busy in the studio, I I would turn down, uh, and then as that sort of, was dying off a little bit, the opportunities came in to do the Broadway tours, and uh, my son was old enough then that I felt like I could go out of town for a little while, and so that's when I got into it, and I, I would do maybe three months in a year, mm-hmm. filling in for somebody, or just a short tour, um, and then that's morphed into, now I think I've been gone longer than any other tour, and I'm about two years away from home. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. In the last, uh, I would say, 15 years, I think, it's more time away uh, than home.
0: What are some of the shows you've done?
1: Let me see. Uh, Full Monty way back, uh, Spam a lot, <laughs> Cats, um, Kinky Boots, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. That was a fun one as well.
0: Okay. Yeah. And these were tours just the U.S. or did you do international as well?
1: Well, I did uh, In the Heights and we got to Japan with that one. Okay. Um, and that's the only tour that I've been overseas with. And then most of the other tours, I have gone just across the border into Canada. So we'll do Toronto, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, Montreal. Those are about the main stops in Canada.
0: How'd you get into jingles?
1: It was sort of a natural progression. Um, When I was growing up through high school and everything, I was getting noticed and uh, playing, you know, big band lead and stuff. I I always listened to the horn bands, Tower Power and Earth, Wind and Fire and uh, Blood, Sweat and Tears, all that kind of stuff. Um so I, I kinda had this style. I enjoyed it and I listened to it and I played it and uh so the natural progression was when they needed more commercial type players that could play straight eighth notes and the real syncopated stuff, um, I started getting calls and uh first as a sub or as an alternate, like somebody couldn't make it, so they'd call Paul, you know. And call and Paul. yeah, call Paul. Pretty soon I, I started being the first call and uh and it just worked its way up from there and so during college i was uh ditching classes a lot to go up to vancouver (laughs) Mm -hmm. to play you know aerosmith cd or a a macgyver soundtrack or you know i don't know mcdonald's commercials you you name it (laughs) (laughs) so what school were you at i was at western washington university okay and you're originally
0: we didn't get into this but you're originally from where
1: i'm originally from vancouver canada okay grew up uh in the outskirts you know suburbs and now I live in Washington State, just about 30 miles south of where I grew up.
0: Okay. What age were you when you started playing your first jingle to where it was Call Paul? You became the first person.
1: So. Uh, I, I want to say I, probably my first recording sessions were about it, when I was 18 years old. Okay. And I was about 21 or 22, I think, when I, well, even earlier than that, really, about 20 years old, okay. I was a regular in the studio.
0: And you said, what else? You you did a jingle for who else?
1: McDonald's? Oh, well, McDonald's, Wendy's, Pepsi, Coke, Mm -hmm. Ford, Mazda. I mean... All of them. uh, Yeah.
0: Were they recording these jingles that they were using internationally, or were they using jingles that they only used in Canada when they recorded them in Vancouver?
1: I I had a smattering of of both. Um, Some that were just... Regional, you know, if it was a sale at a specific car dealership in Vancouver, mm-hmm. you know, that would be the regional mm-hmm. um, lots of uh, national commercials as well uh, Air Canada and you know things like that and then some international ones as well like McDonald's and Pepsi and Coke and All of that. All right, and you said you
0: did MacGyver as well.
1: I did uh, some MacGyver soundtracks. Yeah, like the the intro uh, we didn't do the theme song. That was done in Los Angeles. I, I'm pretty sure. Uh-huh. Uh, but we did a lot of the episodes. Um, okay, maybe about half of the episodes. I think. Um, is what I've been told is what we did in Vancouver.
0: The action parts. I'm assuming.
1: Well, the the whole episode, top to bottom, because when when they when the composer is tasked with the uh, show, I I think he's got like a few days to write it, and then uh, we're in the studio and bang it out in basically a day, and then. Uh, About two days later, it airs live. Whoa! Yeah. The orchestra was all live, so we were about a 40-piece orchestra typically with strings and a harp if it called for it and all the brass and reeds and, um, you know, percussion, all that stuff. And so the composer slash conductor would come into the studio and he's looking at uh, a big screen with the, the action or, you know, whatever the TV uh, sequences that he's writing to it might be 20 seconds worth of music it might be three and a half minutes worth of chase scene um, so we, we've got all this different music stacks of stuff in front of us on the music stand and he calls up okay we're going to do m13 right now and and then uh, we overdub that basically um, and then they take those tracks and I, I guess they mix it onto the tv show and and that's it and that's like it.
0: two days before air
1: yeah I, I was really surprised with that but yeah I, I guess typically the music is the last thing because all the audio I mean all the uh, video has to be edited and, and they decide the length of scenes and you know what we need here oh, and, yeah, I guess. and oh do we need a hit here when the car blows up <laughs> you know so that all has to be done um, first before before you can, the music
0: yeah it's kind of like the icing on the cake and the fact you all professionals can turn around that quick man that's why they pay all the big bucks. <laughs> uh, fun fact, I just found this out. Vancouver is almost like Hollywood North for a lot of, at least for film scoring, but probably for filming as well, right?
1: Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure if that's where the uh, the term came from, was from the filming first. But uh, I, I think it's um, Lionsgate uh, Productions started there, a big film company now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can't remember the other uh, big sound stages they have, but a lot of... Uh, A lot of TV shows. I think USA Network kind of started doing a lot of their stuff up there. Um, All the Monk, a lot of the Monk episodes from way back with Tony Shalhoub um, were filmed in Vancouver and they were supposed to be San Francisco. uh, Oh, Vancouver is supposed to look like San Francisco. Francisco.
0: Got you. Uh, There's one thing I want to talk about before we get to the seven questions uh, that I think uh, a lot of our listeners might find very, very interesting. Residuals. So, First, let's explain what residuals are for a musician.
1: Okay. Uh, residuals are payments to us for playing on jingles or TV shows or, you know, things like that. And they're like a profit sharing. You know, if, if, if the product makes money, mm-hmm. then you keep getting paid for it. But for jingles, it's also a reuse in that typically they're, they're allowed to use 13 weeks of the jingle unlimited use in the 13 weeks
0: from the moment you finish recording or from the first time it's used. I
1: think it's from the first time it's used. Okay. Yeah. So they, they can use it for 13 weeks if they need or want to use it beyond that. Then they have to pay a reuse fee, which is basically paying for the whole studio session again. And then they have another 13 weeks. So some jingles can last years. I've done some TV theme songs that have lasted 13 or 14 years.
0: And this is regardless of whether or not you
1: own the actual thing that's being played. Right. Because that would be publishing. That would be publishing, yeah. So I I don't own the publishing rights to anything except for my book, and we can talk about that later. But as far as the the jingles, no. I'm just a trumpet player for hire, but it's all union contracts, and so it's all tracked through the union and all that.
0: So it's like you own the sound that was provided
1: I I suppose that's a way to look at it, yeah. In a sense, they're they're leasing it or renting it or or buying it for a period of time.
0: How does that work with respect to countries? Is it uh, 13-week use anywhere in the world, or is it 13-week use for just this country, and if they decide to use it in another country, there's another fee that needs to be
1: paid? Every country, uh, maybe they loop in, like maybe it's a European market um, is all one entity. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. exactly how that works, but... Basically, every country is a, another reuse. So if you're playing in 33 different countries, you, you stand to get a pretty nice uh, residual taste out of that. Yeah, I'm
0: sure. And you get paid each time it's used, because I believe with publishing, you get paid twice a year in certain months. I believe it's February and August. I think that's
1: true, yeah. Right. Uh, for the jingles, it's every 13 weeks. So that that's the period of time. And, and as soon as it starts rolling into the next one and they decide they're going to use it, then they should pay out and it it could take six weeks or something to get paid in that next 13 week cycle. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, you get paid each time it's being used. Does the engineer get paid as well? Um, that's a very good question and I can't answer that. I don't know. Okay. I suppose if they had an artistic, you know, contribution somehow. Which being an engineer is artistic in a way. Yeah. If I was an engineer, I would be addressing that for sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, where's my piece of the pie? <laughs> so uh, you said you came out with a book. I do. I have a book already out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came out uh, December of uh, 2016, and I've got another coming out. Um, it should be out by Black Friday of this year. Okay.
0: What are the two books
1: called? Um, the first one is called "Trumpet Voluntarily." A Holistic Guide to Maximizing Practice Through Efficiency. That's a lot to write down. (laughs) In a
0: nutshell, what does Trumpet voluntarily help trumpeters with?
1: Well, it all started because I felt there were so many life lessons uh, in music um, and and generally in, in life as a musician that I didn't learn uh, in college or from other teachers, but learned the hard way, and by making a lot of mistakes. um, And I thought, I need to share this information to other people, um, partially because um, when I was growing up, I I started as the last trumpet. I was fifth trumpet, or or fourth, or whatever, and I would move up the ranks. Mm -hmm. Well now, gigs such as they are, oftentimes I'd be the only trumpet, so um, as a young player, where are you going to get that experience of the older, wiser, hopefully wiser musicians, uh, unless you get a chance to play with them? And if you don't, well, I wanted this information available. So there's all sorts of things in there, how to learn pacing for a show so you don't burn yourself out, mm-hmm. You know, because we're playing eight shows a week. It's one thing to play one show and then have two or three days off, but when you have to do eight shows a week, there's a real thought process in, in in preserving your body and how do you maintain your chops through all of that. So that's that's part of the book.
0: Is it also pacing with respect to within the show?
1: It both are, yeah, okay. absolutely, yeah. How to get through a single show, but then also save something for the next day and the next day and the, and the next month and so on. Yeah, and there's other things in there. Uh, gig etiquette, you know, um, how, how do you learn those things except for to have some old guy say, knock that shit off, you know, <laughs> um, which I had. And and so now I'm, I'm sharing that so that hopefully somebody doesn't have to get yelled at.
0: Is the book mostly narrative or do you have exercises in there or is there an audio component to it as well where like someone can play along with you on something?
1: There isn't an audio part. Um, the first book really, the holistic guide part of that subtitle was – trying to teach people how to listen to their bodies listen to their chops do the right thing and not be stuck in the same rut of doing the same warm-up in the same routine every single day but to to feed the machine you know to feed the chops and what is needed for a given job or you know whatever the changes may be
0: okay what's the name of the second book that's coming out later this year
1: that one uh, we haven't totally figured out the title yet but uh it Uh, my wife Trinka suggested we use trumpet voluntarily again because it's sort of a play on the old uh, trumpet voluntary which everybody's probably heard at weddings uh, you know hundreds of times so it was a little play on that word Um, and the subtitle we're not sure but it's a warm-up book so it'll be uh, three different warm-ups depending on your needs there's a pre-show warm-up so just a quick little snippet of music or you know playing to get ready for the show but not burn out and use up all the good notes um there's the morning after warm-up which is not after a night of partying but uh after a hard day's playing the day before how to get your chops back to feeling good and fresh and wipe this clay clean and and start with uh, you know fresh tools every day mm-hmm. and then the other one is um uh it's just a longer warm-up i'm not sure what i've called that but uh Anyway, there's the pre-show, the morning after, and the the other routine one. So
0: for this book, as well as the first book, mm-hmm. it's just as much narrative as it
1: is playing exercises? The The first one is mostly narrative. Um, there are examples of the three warm-ups um, that I use. Um, but I only put examples in there because, um, again, I wanted people to learn their own bodies. And, and so I thought, while well, writing out um, all of this music, um, is is not allowing them to think so much for themselves, as it is just reading the notes off the page. So the first book was just that; it was mostly narrative with a little bit of examples musically. The second book will be some narrative, but almost all music, because mm-hmm. I I I literally had messages, Facebook messages, and so on, or from my website from people from Uganda and Ghana and New Zealand and France and China, all over the world, saying, hey, I, I like this little bit of warm-up you have here, but can I have the whole thing? And so my publisher and I thought, well, you know, it seems to be getting some interest out there. Maybe we should just do another book. And it's about ready to be launched in whenever Black Friday is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Ready for the seven questions? Sure. Sure. Alright. No, what's it called, what? y'all?
1: It's the question It's the, boy. It's the, it's the, yeah, the uh, Question number uh, one. To add to the library. That would it's be the a Soprano on her head. It's and it's the by Eloise Ristad. Uh, you know, it was a tough uh, question to think what what book should I talk about? Well this one had the most impact on me as far as um, relaxation, you know, performing. Be it in the studio or on stage with thousands of people or in a pit where nobody can see you But you know uh, dealing with nerves performance anxiety all that kind of stuff I thought it was just extremely well written and specifically for Musicians and singers
0: so it's another narrative book kind of like
1: your book trumpet volunteer. It is. Yeah. Yeah this woman Eloise she's passed now she was quite old but uh, Just a, a real fireball of energy and I saw her speak my very first year of university and I bought her book then and maybe because I saw her speak, um, and bought the book and you know, it really resonated or if the book could stand alone, I think probably. Okay. Number two, podcast, subscribe. You know, my ears get so fatigued playing every day that, um, even when I get in like a lift car these days, I ask them to turn the radio or whatever way down just cause I, I find that I I just can't listen to music as much as I used to, because my ears get so fatigued. Mm -hmm. And I've got a pretty good case of tinnitus. So I I just kind of, you know, when I'm not working, I try and protect my ears a little bit.
0: In terms of sound in general, just
1: music? Well, just in in general, sound, yeah, yeah. Wow, Okay. It's just been too many years of playing too many high notes in loud bands. (laughs) unfortunately i don't subscribe to anything so far but i'm gonna on this one (laughs) okay so you're saying guestbook podcast
0: is your podcast subscribe?
1: yes it is hey thank you yeah
0: much appreciated cool number three something you didn't know you needed until you got it
1: you know actually trink and i bought an instant pot okay about a year ago and we can actually do full meals in a hotel room where it's not a full kitchen by any means so just with that alone, if we have a little mini fridge, at least we can cook in the room and make mm-hmm. some good meals. So it's like a crock pot? Yeah, it's like a crock pot, but you can also make bread in it. And it's a slow cooker, but it, it's also a fast steamer. Okay. And it's called an instant pot? Instant pot or instapot. Instapot, Insta pot. Okay. Yeah. And it's kind of a rage now. There's, there's a, a whole ton of Facebook pages of people putting <laughs> up recipes and things that you can do with that.
0: Hey. Number four, bucket list place to travel. There's a place in the world that you have been to that you recommend listeners add to their bucket list.
1: Oh, I would say the coast of, uh, Oregon. Okay. The sand dunes and the, the beaches are just outstanding.
0: Is there a city in particular? Uh,
1: well around Lincoln city, I, I guess that's about the closest to the, the sand dunes area that I'm talking about. What drew you to that area? my wife actually they spent a bunch of time there as as kids and uh it's just a, a really beautiful place and the the dunes just go forever and so you can you can ride sand rails and you know dune buggies and stuff that's fun but then just being at the beach the way the sand goes out for literally miles out into the water uh, when the the surf is out you can you can go way out there it's really stunning yeah and look up haystack rocks cuz those are really gorgeous out there so Haystack Rock is this rock that's out in the middle of the water that's really big. It is, yeah. And there's a, a whole bunch of them out there. That That's just, you know, one example of them.
0: Okay, so this is a little bit further north. So the area we were talking about before, Lincoln City, is south of Portland. And Haystack Rock is actually north of Oh, it's Portland. actually north. Okay, yeah. Yeah. look so at that. Do you want to use Lincoln City or do you want to use Haystack Rock? Well, let's
1: use Haystack Rock. Okay.
0: Number five, 50-mile detour restaurant. You want to go fifty miles out of your yeah. way to eat there.
1: There's a restaurant called Salt Lick that's between San Antonio and Austin, Texas, uh, for barbecue, and it's just fantastic. The yeah, the brisket is amazing. Everything they smoke there, you know, it they're doing it right there, right there, yeah, and the right way. Yeah, you know, eighteen hours slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, Texas does it right. Number six, your number one skill.
1: My number one skill, I guess, would would be. Uh, Playing the trumpet. Okay. Maybe a second to that might be people skills. Okay. And number seven, your number one, talent.
0: So the difference between skill and talent, skill you work at, talent you had innately.
1: Well, I guess both of those I mentioned could be flip-flopped.
0: Okay. So you want to say playing trumpet you've worked at. I've whereas, worked at it,
1: but I had a, a certain amount of innate talent as well. Okay. So that's a tough one to answer in, because oh, of that.
0: Okay. and But people skills something you've worked at.
1: Yeah, something that I, I put in my book as well, there's a lot to the, this business, you know, being a musician or, or, or just working with other people in general, you know, there are the skills that you need to bring to the table, but then there's the ability to be able to work with other people and, and make them feel good about doing their job and, and as a lead trumpet player, you know, there are, are certain camps, I guess, or certain types of lead trumpet players there are the guys that are arrogant and are, are out there to go, hey, dig me, I play higher, louder, faster than anybody else and hold on over the rest of the band. And then there's the kind of lead player that I aspire to be, which is leading by example. And if I need people to follow my articulation and, and style and, and dynamics and so on, um, I feel if I'm a, a nice person and I encourage them to, to play well with me, that, that goes a lot further than trying to be the show-off lead player. Yeah. So I've always aspired to be the latter, not the jock, you know.
0: <laughs> That's uh, astute of you to to realize that. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Do you have any social media or any contact info you want to share with the listeners?
1: Uh, well, my website is paulbarren.net. Okay. I have a page dedicated to my book. It's called Trumpet Voluntarily. That's on Facebook. Okay. And, yeah, I've got Instagram. What's your Instagram? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, i tell you I what. I could send that yeah, to you Yeah, send as it well. to me,
0: and I'll have it in the show notes. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, it's another episode of Guest Book Podcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Again, I am Inkeeper Freddie. Uh, if you want to reach me, email is inkeeper at unionnbc.com. And the website is com. And on Instagram, we uh, have three handles. At Guestbook Pod for the podcast, at Union Inn, DC, and at Innkeeper freddie That's Freddy with an IE for my personal. Um, follow me and um, see what's going on in my life. Um, Paul, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much this for is having me. a great podcast. Listeners got to learn about residuals. Yay. Hey, man. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. <laughs> <laughs> Again, thanks so much for listening. We will see you next week. And you've also done cruises as well.
1: I did two cruise ship stints,
0: yes. And one of those cruises was actually special for you.
1: It was. That's where I met my wife. Okay. Yeah. Now, what was she doing on the cruise? Uh, she was a purser. So for anybody that doesn't know what a purser is, that's the person that does a lot of the hotel duties, like the front desk, mm-hmm. accounting, uh, you know, making sure that the passengers are are all settled and in their rooms and and then uh she also i think did the uh the little newspaper that would come out daily mm-hmm. for all the activities how'd you all meet she's a very gregarious woman and uh would just i think it was in the uh officer's mess you know and she would just work the tables and say hi to everybody and and it was a, a spark and we've been together ever since coming on thirty two years uh, in November congratulations thank you